that at one of the bits at the end of his talk, um, he talked about being filled, you know, we are treasure. We've got treasure within us. We've got gold within us. We've got treasure within us. And we've been speaking, haven't we, since Pentecost of being constantly filled with God's Holy Spirit and how important that is that we do this daily. And that's why I sort of started with great is thy faithfulness because mer new mercy, and I can't remember the words now, but morning by morning new mercies we see. And it is about being filled with his Holy Spirit that this, you know, we will see God so much in our lives. And I wanted to link this in with this passage. Um, so I'm just going to read from chapter 2, um, Jesus' first miracle when Jesus changes water into wine. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars of water, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, I know this is a very familiar passage, but I'm hoping that I can glean just a few different things out of it that, um, you know, we all find helpful. So to start with, I want to set the scene of what, what was perhaps happening. And if you look in John chapter 1, just previous to this event, you'll see that three days before, and it was only three days before, that Jesus was actually baptised, um, well, they say, in or near the River Jordan. And it was after that, it was the next day, he called Andrew and Simon, Simon later to be called Peter. And then it says in chapter, John chapter 1, verse 43, it says, the next day. So we've talking about three days, the next day, the next day, the next day. And I was just sitting, sort of pondering on this passage, because then it starts in chapter 2, it says, on the third day. And I was pondering about this, and I thought, this is amazing, because on the third day, they were travelling down the road, and I could just imagine, they would be, they'd been invited to a wedding. And how exciting must this group of people be? They were... You know, he's calling his disciples. He was 
Um, he was with his mother, he was with his family, Jesus, and they were travelling together and they were going to a wedding. How exciting is that? The buzz with them must have been enormous. You know, we're going for a great celebration of this, this couple in Canaan and they'd all been invited. Um, weddings in Jesus' day were week-long festivals. Wow, wow, what a celebration that must have been. You know, we have a few hours. I mean, you've just had your daughter's wedding, but it was just a day, but this was a week. Imagine their excitement, travelling all together. Sorry, I'm going to move that. And I'm sure, you know, they were excited because they were going to have a good time. Now, if you can imagine, banquets would be prepared for the many guests, and, you know, and as I said, a week-long celebration. But, you know, often the whole town was also invited to a wedding. So the organisation that must have had to be taken place was enormous. Um, and it was, it was considered, if you were invited, it was considered an insult if you didn't, you know, didn't accept that wedding invitation. So, as I say, the careful planning that was needed. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, Jesus took time, didn't he, to, um, to attend this wedding. You know, sometimes I think we get the balance wrong. You know, we think sometimes, don't they, but we've always got to be serious. And I think this perhaps challenges us that we can, we can also have joy and fun because that's what Jesus wanted us to do. So what I was saying is I think sometimes, you know, we perhaps take things seriously and, it, you know, it's really a joy, isn't it, to know that actually Jesus wants us to have a good time as well as, um, you know, we now work when perhaps it's much more serious. And the interesting thing about this, of course, was that this was his first miracle and what he performed. But, you know, nobody was ill. After this, he tended to heal the sick. But at this particular time, he was having a celebration. Um, now, to run out of wine was more than embarrassing for the family because it broke all the strong written laws of hospitality and it brought shame on the family to actually um, run out of wine. So it was the master of ceremony's duty to make sure that everything was going to go well. Now, when Jesus actually answers Mary, I don't know, I find this sort of response to her, you know, quite difficult to understand. But maybe that's the point. Um, Mary didn't perhaps understand what Jesus was going to do, but perhaps she was asking Jesus to do a miracle, and she was simply hoping that her son would solve this major problem um, and find some wine. And I was thinking about this because... It is said that perhaps Joseph had died. I don't, we don't know that. But she got into the habit of, um, of perhaps asking Jesus to bail her out of problems. And um, um, I was thinking, you know, well, if I was, if, you know, my family were at a wedding and the wedding party was going to have shame on them because they'd run out of wine, I might truly say to my son, hey, Daniel, will you go, come on, nip to Tesco's. You know, please, please, will you help us out of this problem. Um, she trusted him, she trusted Jesus to do what was right. And when we believe in Jesus but run into situations we cannot understand, we must continue to trust that he will work the best way. Mary recognised, didn't she, and knew that her son was more than just a son, he was the son of God.
And when we have problems, um, we perhaps think, don't we, that we know what he should do, but actually he might have a different plan. So like Mary, we should submit and allow him to deal with the problems as he sees best. Now I'd like us just to look at verse 6, because I think this is really quite a significant thing. It says, Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Now this phrase might not mean much to us now, but 2,000 years ago it was a really familiar image. These six stone jars were not just, they were just ordinary vessels. They were used for ceremonial washing, and when full, the, the, these jars, they, they, they held 20 to 30 gallons. That's an enormous amount of water, enormous amount, 20 to 30 gallons, it's incredible. But according to the Old Testament, the Jews were under laws and regulations that people became symbolically unclean by touching objects of everyday life. And before eating, Jews would pour the water over their hands to cleanse themselves of any bad influences associated with what they had touched. And of course, this still happens now in, in Israel with the Jews and people that the Jews, you know, and, well, in this country, of course, when they, they, you know, have the Sabbath, you know, they're not allowed to touch things um, because that would make them unclean on the Sabbath. And I remember when we went to Israel, they wouldn't use the lifts, would they, Andy? Because they wouldn't press the button of the lift because that would be something they'd touch and then they'd be unclean. They won't eat certain foods um, because that would make them unclean. So this ceremonial washing and cleansing still goes on, so they still live under these regulations. But I think there's a connection here between what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, because he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power is from God and not from us. So when Jesus turns the water into wine, he is telling us so much more. It's so much deeper. Because he, not only he cites Proverbs 9, and it says the best wine was always served first when palates were more sensitive, yet this miraculous wine served last was the very best imaginable. And God in the, in the Old Testament a lot uses wine to, sim, to symbolize God's blessings. He uses it in Amos. So here, I feel what he's saying, the Messiah has arrived. God's greater blessing has arrived through turning the water into wine. So he, Jesus, is the master of the ceremonies. And when the disciples saw the, the miracles, they believed the miracle showed the power over nature and revealed what he was going to do in his ministry, helping others, speaking in authority and being in personal touch with people. So miracles were not merely superhuman events, but they demonstrate God's power. And another thing I sort of, you know, reflecting on this, Jesus perhaps is also shadowing the cross of Calvary because when he turned the water into wine, he also took the family's shame and guilt because he rescued them. And isn't that what Jesus does for each and every one of us? He rescues us. He takes our guilt. He takes our shame by the blood. 
and he replaced the regulations that signified that he would become the ultimate bridegroom. There's another point I want to share with you too. Back in the day, there were no banks for people to store their money. So rich people would hide their money in expensive vases. It was not the best strategy because thieves would break in and they would unintentionally steal the best vase and then, of course, the cash inside of it. So people started buying cheap pottery to store their money and to keep it safe. So again, I think this, this picture of what Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul uses this image of great treasure stored in everyday glasses of clay to show God puts riches of his spirit in us. He puts his treasure into ordinary cracked pots like us. That's us. And too often, perhaps, we get the treasure and the pot confused. We read, don't we, of all these heroes of faith, you know, John Wesley, Hudson Taylor, Mother Teresa, and think that they were used because of their gifts and abilities. And I think perhaps by doing that, we totally miss the point because it's like seeing a briefcase stuffed with millions of pounds of money and think the valuable item is the briefcase. The truth is, any impact their lives had was not because of their abilities, because, but because of the treasure of the spirit within them. So the weaker we are, because we're his vessels, the weaker we are, the more we lean on God for strength. The more broken we are, the more cracks there are for the spirit to pour through. We might not experience running out of wine at a wedding that would bring shame and guilt upon us, but we do experience, don't we, other offences that riddle us with shame and guilt. But Jesus came to free us from guilt and shame. By dying on the cross, he came to bring us joy, like at the wedding feast. We might be like empty vessels, when we recognise we have nothing, that is exactly when Jesus can work with us. And when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for Jesus. So when we take our empty vessels to Jesus, take ourselves to him, take what we can offer, Jesus covers us, he transforms us, he heals us, and he fills us with that vessel, us, with his spirit. Jesus takes ordinary jars of clay, you and me, and fills them with water, which is a normal substance. And then what does Jesus do with that ordinary? He makes the ordinary become extraordinary. Isn't that just wonderful? And then when he does that with his spirit, he promises, doesn't he, joy, life, vitality, and hope I'd like and I'm just I've twisted her arm <laughs> um, Maggie to just come up and give a little testimony about what it's meant to her to experience being filled with the spirit and how that's led you know to what you know 
more confidence in that. Hi, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I sort of had issues with shame and all sorts of things when I was growing up. But three years ago, I think I mentioned I had an encounter with God and that has changed, changed my life incredibly. Um, but anyway, going, going back to when I was six, I had to learn a poem. Um, I was in the girls' brigade and had to learn. It was called Brighton Your Corner. I mean, I had words in that I couldn't, you know, I didn't know what they meant. I still really don't know what they mean, but it was a lovely poem. And basically, it's that God has given us all important um, work to do. It might not be celebrity stuff, and we might not think it's important, but to God it's important. Because he's placed us where he wants us to be, and that's where he wants us to shine. Um, I found sometimes that I could miss, well, we could miss what's right in front of us, because we are looking beyond where we are. Um, God gave me this, this thing this morning about a torch, and if you don't mind just demonstrating if June shines that on her hand, it shows up really well. I mean, I won't be able to see that. But if you shine, if you shine that just out into the, the room, it doesn't have the same effect. It has the effect where the light is shining. And that's why I feel God was saying, that's where you are. That's where your light is shining. Um, hopefully. So yeah, so it's less effective when it's, it's been sort of just looking ahead. In the last few years, I found so much joy in seemingly small things. Um, in the bird song, uh, flowers in the garden and, and things like that. I always used to have my music on. I had headphones on. I couldn't hear the birds. I couldn't hear um, or really take notice of anything that was going on. Nothing wrong with listening to music, but I was missing out um, so much um, on things then kind of God said as well as the flowers being fragrant we carry a fragrance and that fragrance is the fragrance of Jesus and I believe this really changes things where we are I found that people respond differently and um, you know people in supermarkets in the queue will tell you their life story or their problems um, or people just want to help in in everything it's, it's just amazing um, but I, also, I am also looking ahead. We've got our trip to Uganda in September. But my main focus is where I am right now. And the joy that I have within me is what I want to share. Um, I just want to be aware of God's blessings every single day because there are so many. Um, I'm not saying life's always easy. Um, you know, Obviously, some people face extreme tragedies. But in the everyday problems, I think they become much more manageable if we look for the joys and blessings within them. But I can guarantee that if we look, we will find them, because they are there. <clears throat> Thank you. So I want to just finish on the verses from John seven thirty-seven to 38. Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted to the clouds, Crowds, sorry, not to the class, the crowds. All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your inmost being, just as the scripture says. True spiritual life can be our vessel as we bring joy to the world. The fruit of the Spirit includes joy, and there is no limit to joy available for a child of God. And I just think, you know, we're really praying, aren't we, that 
we will reach out to this community of Hawkinge. And we can't do this in our own strength. We've, we've got to rely, we've got to have that spirit throwing, flowing in and through us, in and, th- in and th- through our vessels. Yes, they might be cracked, they might be broken a bit, but God can use each and every one of us. So I'd like just, if that's all right, to just let's ask us to stand and let's just pray, shall we, that we will be filled afresh today so that we can be equipped, we can be that person that shines that light, that sent, you know, that as we go from here, we will be taking that fragrance of Jesus with us. So just prepare your hearts a minute. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. You, you tell us all who are thirsty, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh and anew, I pray.